Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Hello, thank you for downloading and clicking play or whatever you've done to listen to the Offside Rule We Get It. It is the 2015-16 season and we're rattling on through. Can't believe we're nearly in October, girls. I'm joined by Kate Borsay. By the time folks listen to this, we probably will be in October, won't we? We will, yes. <laughs> we're recording at the end of September. And Mina Rizuki. Hello, I'm so glad to be back already. Yes, it's been a whirlwind few weeks. We had the international break straight back into league. We're getting a little bit more momentum going. So a few things happened of note over the weekend. In particular, some goal scorers who we would have expected to already had some goals to their name that have managed to chalk a few on. Uh, Harry Kane has got off the mark. Daniel Sturridge got two for Liverpool, Kate. <laughs> She's cheering. Yeah, it was long um, and also uh, another one, Alexis Sanchez, because one of my favourite players in the Premier League and with the Copper America, rightfully so, he'd been rested for quite a few games. Wow, at the weekend, he was on fire. If he continues like this, then Arsenal should have a really good chance of going forging forward now. Um, but it's just inspired us that the, the sort of goal flurry from strikers who hadn't actually got off the mark to think of other strikers that maybe haven't got as many goals to their name as they should have across the leagues, across the world. Uh, I always look to Mina for some foreign input there because that's your specialised area is is across Europe. So I expect a few from there. <laughs> oh, God. OK, don't worry, don't worry. I've got Europe down, girls, so you can start with the Premier League. I have got a Europe one to, to add in as well. We'll see if we've got any snapses on that. Um, also going to go on to talk about Sir Alex Ferguson's book, Leading Is Out. I was actually at the book launch for that when it was in London and that inspired me because I've set the topics. It's anything that inspires us, isn't it? individually and it got me thinking about other leaders in football and who would be on the same levels of Sir Alex Ferguson and on top of that the big line to come out of that book launch was that he'd said that he only ever managed four world-class players so I'm thinking of the leaders that we go and choose have to have done the same and I want some clarification on who those world-class players were and that's coming up also uh, England making a bad decision in the rugby I'm bringing in rugby because I live in Twickenham or near Twickenham so it's like I'm in the rugby world. Uh, it's like being in a chocolate shop but not eating chocolate because I'm not really that big on rugby. But it has inspired me for a topic because with the dying minutes to go in the Rugby Wales game, they made a bad choice, didn't they, by deciding to kick long for a throw rather than take the penalty kick that could have drawn them level. Still had a few minutes remaining. You never know what might have happened. But it's what might have been because Wales got that victory, fully deserved. So I want you to use your imagination now to speak about things that have happened in football in the dying minutes. So footballing fails. Come back to me with some original ones. Uh, We're also going to have an update from Sue Smith, who's in jubilant mood this week. She'll explain why later. Uh, We'll get to our WSL roundup. And by the way, only one weekend to go. And it all goes down to the final weekend of the season to work out who is going to be crowned champions of WSL 1. It's exciting stuff over in women's football as that comes to an end very soon. The female take on football. So straight in to the topic that I've called goal cry. (laughs) I like to think of football as crying occasionally, like Gaza. Uh, Who do you think would be a good whaler? Giroud, I think, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Giroud. I think it has to be someone Italian or Spanish, doesn't it? Someone really in touch with themselves emotionally. (laughs) (laughs) Who do we vote for this? Actually, funnily enough, I thought it would be Brendan Rodgers. One day it's just going to explode. It's just going to be too much pressure. Uh He's got got too much on his plate and he's just 
just one day I can just imagine him sitting on the dare sideline when no one scores his goals and he's trying so hard to be like, I need the challenge to make my brand of football. And then he'll just burst out crying. Well, like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think Jose might. Well, right at now, some point, yeah, yeah he, might. <laughs> he might. I am the best. I am still the best, even at crying. <laughs> He's tried many other tactics. The tears and waterworks haven't been one of them just yet. Uh, let's talk about this then. So, over the weekend, as explained earlier on in the intro, uh, there have been some long overdue goal scorers getting on the score sheet, um, and it's left a few gaps. If you go along the leagues and you look at your out and out strikers or the people that have been used to scoring goals, the people we've been used to seeing in highlights and replays, uh, they're not getting the goals. And um, I want to find a few that are left from across the leagues. Going to start with Kate. Um, I've gone Premier League and not looking at the major teams, really, looking at some of the teams further down and players who might have an impact, normally because they get quite a bit of game time or they've just been quietly notching them up one by one. Um, someone that I'm surprised hasn't got off the mark just yet, Glenn Murray, moved to Bournemouth from Crystal Palace. He had that amazing season, didn't he, in 2012-2013 where he scored like 31 goals and was the Championship Player of the Year and we were quite excited to see him uh, at Crystal Palace and um, in the Premier League. He had that awful injury uh, which took him out for pretty much a whole season. Um, did okay last season, but surprised that he hasn't scored in the league yet. He's scored one in the League Cup. Um, he's not played a full game, actually, but he has played five. Well, they're going to be relying on him now. Yeah. Callum Wilson, that awful injury that he got stretched off for Bournemouth. So Glenn Murray, they're going to be looking to him for the goals. He'll need to get those striking boots back on, get them dusted off. <laughs> Jay Rodriguez for Southampton, um, out for the whole of last season with an injury. Um, he is back, of course, but I think look, Koeman's really you know, playing him very tentatively. He scored in the League Cup and in the, the Europa League, but... Um, he may have featured in all Premier League games, but not had a massive amount of minutes under his belt. In fact, in fact I think he sat one game out on the bench. Um, but most importantly, he's back. It can't be long and it shouldn't be long until he gets on the score sheet. So let's have your two, Lindsay, shall we? No, we'll go to Mina next. <laughs> OK. OK, well, actually, I'm going to go for... Like, everyone's seen how Martial has done for Manchester United. And obviously, this was the guy who was leading the line in Monaco alongside... There was another little youngster there called Yannick Ferreira Carrasco, who had great pace. A lot of people thought that he was a talent, and Atletico Madrid certainly thought so. Bought him in, and he hasn't scored a goal for them yet. Mm. He hasn't really been getting any playing time. I mean, he's a kid. He hasn't really been tested it's quite difficult to play on play under Diego Simeone because you don't just need to have talent but you need to know how to work for a team unit you need to know how to understand the patterns of play and that means working defensively as well as attacking wise but for a player that has so much pace which is something that Cholo really requires in Atletico Madrid I thought Carrasco would have more of an impact as well as Luciano Vieto who hasn't either um, two players that I'm seriously surprised at whereas Good old Fernando Torres is scoring for them. So it's a little bit like against the grain, if I'm honest. So I thought that. My other little one is Edin Dzeko for Roma. Now, I'm sure most of you will point out that he scored the most important goal, which was which came against Juventus. We had a chat about him as well, and I, I tipped him for big things. <laughs> well, I, I don't blame you, to be honest, because he really looks like he's the kind of player that Roma really needed because they create so many chances. And really, they just had like, what, a 45-year-old Francesco Totti? Okay, fine, he's 39. But still, you, you would expect that 
they needed somebody of Jacko's stature, someone who knows how to hold up play, someone who understands how to, to you know, score those goals. He's a great finisher. Not managing it is quite unusual. And right now, the way that they're playing, a lot of people are blaming the coach, Rudy Garcia, tipped to join Liverpool and, and take over from Brendan Rodgers, to be at fault for this because the player is really lonely up front, Jacko. Even when he holds up play, the midfield's not help, hoping to overcome him to score those goals. He is not finishing. Which comes back to a topic that we discussed a few weeks ago in the podcast about the fact that 4-4-2 is dead. You know, you've got strikers on their own. They've never got a strike partner. It's all about the attacking midfields. They're getting lonely. They are. They're getting lonely. And you just feel that way with Jacko because he's looking to his midfielders to say, Oi, if I'm holding up play, I need you to do something more. And if you're not going to do that, then help me score these goals. Mm. Like, or, or give it to, give the ball to me so at least he's in a good position, get some crosses in. But no one's really helping him out, so I can't blame him at the moment in Roma. Um, a lot of weird surprises going on in Serie A. But uh, needless to say, those are my front two. Now, we'll give it over to you. I'll go with my European first, even as we've, we've come straight off the back of yours. Um, Alexandra Lacazette for Lyon. Yes! I was so going to name that one. Oh, wait, that's a brilliant one. And he was he's going nuts as well. He was like, what is going on? He's, he's a really angry state at the moment. I think he's too emotional. He is. He's one of the most passionate players I have ever seen. Um, you, you know that he puts this awful amount of pressure on himself. And you can see it in a player's eyes. He's just desperate to get on the score sheet. But actually, he's only scored one league goal. He has got one to his name. But in, in eight appearances in total, 29 goals he scored last season in all competitions. And at this point of the season, and he already would have had four to his name. My next one, though, Peter Crouch, Stoke. Oh, good one. That's a great one, in fact. Could be because, you know, his wife's had loads of kids now and he's staying up at night. And- yeah, in his, def- <laughs> in his defense, he's not having as much game time, is yeah. he? That He's not really getting as much. John Walters getting on the score sheet, the reliable John Walters. I always raise an eyebrow when people dismiss him because I think he's such a reliable player to have in your squad. And I think Stoke City would sorely miss him had he gone because there were rumours over the summer. But Peter Crouch, with his height, with what he gives you in a game that many players can't because of that, you think, well, he's going to get the odd goals here and there. Um, Like I say, Mark Hughes not giving him as much game time. He has got a goal in the cup in the League Cup. Um, But if you were to do the same as what I did with Lacazette and just say, you know, this point last season, he'd got three goals in the league by that point and he'd scored 10 goals overall in the whole season. And I I can't even see him getting near that this season because I don't think A, he's going to have the game time. Um, And B, I think his confidence is going to go from not having that game time. Mm. He used to be that player, especially for England. He was brilliant ratio, wasn't he, for, for games for England and goals. But for any club football, he's never quite lived up to, to what his potential could have been. The thing about Peter Crouch is he gives you a plan B. He gives you perhaps a tactical change at a certain time in the game. And that's not what he's doing. You know, it's, it's all very well being labelled that particular player. But like Ricky Lambert, again, another player who I was going to mention, not got off the score sheet, not in the league cup, oh, not in the league, nothing. Oh, Segway. <laughs> but it's true, him and Peter Crouch fit into the same category. You know, if, you, if you're going to be a super sub, if you're going to be a change of tactics for the manager if you're going to come on make an impression Lambert couldn't do it for Liverpool at the moment he's not doing it for West Brom either played in every single game not got off the mark yet that's not good enough for a player like Lambert who has to form his game on being something different on giving offering the manager something different well what you can say about all of these examples is I'm sure all of them will get on the score sheet as strikers
strikers within their assigned leagues at some point over the course of the season. Um, But that's why we haven't got any examples from women's football because the women's football season is nearly over. So you look at all the key strikers from different teams and they've all got some goals to their names if you look down the list. And there's a big fight at the moment to who's going to get the golden boot because there's one weekend to go in WSL 1, two weekends to go in WSL 2. Not that you'd know that because Sue Smith, who we're going to join now, is already delighted. Sue Smith's WSL Roundup. Brought to you by Continental Tyres. Hi everyone. Here's my weekly roundup of women's football. I have to start with saying, we are going up, say we are going up. Obviously, subject to beating the league licensing criteria, but obviously delighted. Everybody at Doncaster Bells, you know, we're all really smiling. Um, And I think it's more of a sense of relief than anything else that we've actually made it. Um, We've made it difficult for ourselves in the last few weeks, especially. We needed to beat London Bees at the weekend, which we did just about. But our next goal now is to go up as champions. It's it's fantastic that we've, we've gone up, but we want to be champions. That was something that we've said at the start of the season. So that's something that we're focusing on in the, the last two games that we've got. I'd also like to say congratulations to Reading, who have also gone up. So it's it's going to be a, a race for the title between us two. So that should be quite exciting. OK, moving on to WSL 1. The title will be decided this weekend and both Man City and Chelsea can win it. After both teams secured wins at the weekend, Chelsea are still two points ahead of Man City. So it's, it's quite simple for them. If they win, they win the league. Both teams are at home. Chelsea play Sunderland and Man City play Notts County. These are both really tough games and, and I know for a fact they'll make it difficult and they'll both want to spoil the party, if you like. Hopefully it will be as dramatic and entertaining as the end to last season. I'm not sure either team would want that, but for us watching, it's, it's great to watch. Also, the FAWSL Continental Tyres Cup matches have been confirmed. Arsenal's quarterfinal against Manchester City has been rescheduled to the 1st of October. Man City were innocent of any wrongdoings uh, by the FA, so they're back in and they're playing, playing Arsenal. Notts County will play Liverpool the following week, and that's going to be at the Select Stadium. This season for me has again been a really entertaining, really competitive one. And I've had a few highlights, really. I think that the first one has to be the success of the the Women's World Cup and then the impact that that then had on the league. You know, how it's encouraged more and more people to actually come down to games and, and watch. Another big highlight for me has to be the FA Cup. The fact that it was held at Wembley Stadium for the first time. The amount of people that actually come to watch and the fact that it's going to be there again because it was so successful. It would definitely be a dream of mine to play there. And I'm sure if you asked any other player in the Women's Super League, they would say exactly the same. Okay, that's all for now from me. I just hope you can all get down to your local teams, your local clubs and and support them for the, the last few games of the season. Follow us on Twitter at OffsideRulePod and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the Offside Rule We Get In. There's only one of us. Well, there's many different fine margins to leadership, as we've seen over the years. But what I would like to do is actually take football leaders uh, that rival Sir Alex Ferguson um, in the history stakes. And also this line that he said about managing only four world-class players. I'm not sure what David Beckham makes of that and some other names from Rio Ferdinand. Rio Ferdinand. Be- Beckham actually agrees that he wasn't... He agrees yeah, with anything he says. Of course Beckham's going to do that because it's great for his image to be like, yes, you're right, I wasn't world-class, you know, and there were so many players better than me. But he knows himself. 
himself that he was world class and he's obviously a little bit disappointed to hear that. That's what I, I think. I, 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 I don't think he was world class. I think he'd look like an idiot if he proclaimed to be world class. He was not a world class player. Okay, well, how are we defining world class? Are we saying that only Ronaldo and Messi are? are like those types of players? I'm saying that he would have been in a FIFA World Eleven year upon year upon year. Oh, well, then in that case, there are a very limited number of... Well, in that case, I can't even help with the coach <laughs> because I can't think of someone who's who's done four even who will be in the FIFA top 11 year after year. Uh, after I'm going to help you out, Mina, with that because unlike Kate Borsay, I think it comes down to trophies in the cabinet. It comes down to being a stalwart of your side, someone who's amassed many, many caps because you know what your side can't do yeah, without yeah, you. Yeah. That is what's going to make you world-class. If you've ma- managed to make that transition from one club to another within mm. European League to Premier League, maybe. Um, I think you need to. I need. I think you need to exude that within foreign leagues. And um, actually, if we apply that, then Messi's not world class in my book. But hey, <laughs> he's the one exception. Um, so let's talk about managers that have been of that class from across time. Who would like to go first? I don't want to. Me, me, me. Yay. Okay. Well, I'm. I'm only going to say this because. A, I support this team, and B, because come on, like how could you not say that? And actually, it's a man that Ferguson said that he drew great inspiration from to create the treble-winning team of 1999, that great Manchester United that will actually also come up later on in the pod with my other example or something. But either way, in 1999, he created a great Manchester United team, but he said that he drew inspiration from Marcello Lippi. Mm. Lippi was the man in charge, of course, for Juventus, who led them to, to three Champions League finals in the mid-90s. Um, Unfortunately, only winning the one out of those three. But nonetheless, it was year upon year upon year. He turned the old lady into a huge force. I mean, she was already something big in in, uh, in Serie A. But after, obviously, the great Arrigo Saki and everything that he did with Milan and the revolution of football to bring Juventus back in, to develop the youngsters, to give Del Piero his, his time to develop, to bring in Zidane and make it a world-class team. This was a man who knew how to nurture talent, who you know buying cheap and then selling for expensive which is i which is i think a great talent that Ferguson has as well um being able to do that as well as guaranteeing success both domestically and in European football Juventus were a force to be reckoned with largely because of him now after he left obviously they you know suffered a little bit brought him back he he again managed great success but he also managed a world cup and to manage that it, this is the thing with Ferguson he's only you know, we we don't know how well he'd do in national he got offered the england job a few times that was, that was brought up in that discussion <laughs> yeah because i can't imagine fabio did much for fabio capello's career another another manager i think is wonderful but lippi did it across the board you could you know that whatever you do lippi will always manage that and i know that a lot of people will look at that 2000 2006 World Cup and say, well, it wasn't the great Italian side, but it wasn't great Italian side in 1982 either. And they won over a brilliant Brazil. And I think that's the, that's the strength that Italy have. They're always they're always a team that you think is strong enough, but still you can you can overcome them. Lippi gave them the identity. So who are your four world class players that he managed? I would say Zinedine Zidane, mm-hmm. Alessandro Del Piero, uh, Gianluigi Buffon, Gianlu Cavialli. There you go. You've got your four. You've done your justification. You're <laughs> off the hook, Mina. But Kate Borsay is yet to go. You do realise that was a really hard question for Mina because it's like trying to get her to choose between her favourite sweets. You know? <laughs> <laughs> trying to choose just four players. Um, I'm going to look to Pep Guardiola, who, as we know, has managed plenty of world class players. But 
Lindsay and I are huge fans of autobiographies and biographies. We love them, don't we? And mm-hmm. we did a show with them once. And and um, love we love a good football book, basically. And I, I always, I always get great, have great interest in um, how managers manage teams. You know, what did Benita say during the Champions League final in two thousand and five? Not much, by the way. Um, but 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 I always find that fascinating. And um, in one of the books about Guardiola. Um, he basically um, reveals that he only ever goes into the dressing room during the halftime break. Otherwise, he says he avoids intruding into the changing room, which he thinks is the players' territory. But, but I thought that that, that that was very interesting. He gives the players that amount of power and gives them their specific territory. He also reflected on his departure from Barcelona. And, you know, there are several theories as, as to why he left the club. And he said, no, 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 it isn't that I failed to motivate the players. It's that I failed to seduce them. And he said that a manager motivating players has to be, you know, a top-down relationship, whereas, you know, seduction means he has to relate to them as equals he has to seduce them into his idea it's not that he's not motivating them he's not selling it to them I suppose he's not he's not seducing them into his brand I, I don't know what it is but you, when we talk about great managers I think of someone who has to have longevity as part of their yeah. ability and I know that it's difficult in this day and age to manage that considering that you know it's just it's so results based and now it's all about money and everything like that but do you not sort of think that with Pep Guardiola that he wouldn't I'm not so sure that we can rate him as alongside Ferguson I know that I'm 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 perhaps sort of lessening his quality or saying Mm -hmm. that he's not as great I'm not trying to say that he obviously managed a great Barcelona but didn't Luis Enrique just prove that when you have a great squad you can win a treble yeah he did And, and I think I wouldn't compare him to Ferguson because they're two very different managers at different stages of their career you know Ferguson having put in 26 years at Manchester United Pep Guardiola having put in a bit of time at Barcelona and now at Bayern Munich so it is still a a young point in in Guardiola's managerial career yeah yeah but, but I, if he goes the rate that he's going, I would expect him to be one of the great managers. So name the four players. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where do you start? Do you look at Barcelona? Do you look at Bayern, Iniesta, Xavi, Messi, Ribéry, Lewandowski, Neuer? You know, you can, you can mention oh! so many great players. I know, but how on earth do you pick four players from all of the players on his rota? Tens of them. Yeah, I think he was fortunate, but he's got to win. He's got to win the European Cup with Bayern before I can say he's starting to mimic the greatest. I know that I'm being really harsh on this mm. man, but I'm also quite harsh on Mourinho. And I think these guys need to prove that they can stay in in somewhere and not just be coaches that do something for three years and have to leave. Yeah. I don't. I don't disagree with you there. And he is at a different stage of his career, as I've said. But I think he's a great leader. It doesn't stop him from being a yeah, great leader. You're right there. You're right I'm gonna there. ding 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 round two. I'm gonna come in <laughs> and just say. For Mina's point, I would say that Lippi made world-class players and Guardiola so far has been gifted them. And I think that is the difference. Or has Guardiola been able to manage world-class players because it is a talent managing that talent? That is a skill, but at the moment, Mina's edging it on the on the topic (laughs) I'm going to wade in (laughs) it's not over I've got my chance Uh, Otmar Hitzfeld absolutely love him Mm, yeah no I totally agree with that I'm so going to go for gone with him because of a few different factors he managed Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich not many managers have done that won 17 trophies which is unbelievable going back in time five Bundesliga titles with 
with Bayern and they went through that period 99, 2000, 2001 when they, they just nobody could touch them he also won two Bundesliga titles with Borussia that was before then 95, 96 uh, weren't a Champions League so I'm doing what you're saying which is you know not just one competition not just your domestic competition but they've shown that they can do it in Europe mm. haven't got the World Cup example because you didn't go and do that but what I have got is the world class players so I've gone goalkeeper Oliver Kahn I think he was potentially world class. Um, definitely Stefan Effenberg. He was yeah. he was just solid throughout all of the teams for that Bayern Munich period that he was there. He was just Mr. Reliable. Thomas Linker. And then I'm thinking strikers. And I, I, don't, I was like, have I got four world class players? Elba. What do you reckon? I mean, Elba was a... I wouldn't maybe say he was world, world class. But for that period of time... In that Bayern team, the, and the things that that Hitz felt was brilliant at strong defence. Did you ever have a team that couldn't defend under him? No, yeah. he realised how important that was in the game. Never ever publicly criticised any of his players. If you go back throughout time, he never did that in public. And yeah, just that ability to be able to transfer from from one huge huge German team to another. No, I agree with you. I think he's an outstanding coach. And, and largely because, you know, obviously because I, I believe in the Italian game, I love the fact that he, he knew how to build a strong defence. And for me, that's what made him a superstar. And I think more people should learn from that, especially nowadays, where it seems like we can't really get the strikers that we need to lead the lines. You need a strong defence. Breaking news, everyone. Stand by your beds. This is Jim White. You can download the Offside Rule podcast this very day. Here we go then. Rugby has inspired this, but I want to translate what happened with England and Wales, the last-minute fail, and translate that into football. Some last-minute fails. These can be as wide and far-fetched as you like. It could be something transfer-based, like De Gea. You know, the fact that yeah. Real Madrid last-minute missed yeah, out. Just to give you an example. But it could be something like lights going off at a stadium. <laughs> example. <laughs> Who would like to go first? Do you know what? There are, there are two last-minute fails, which for this one, I find it hard to get out of my mind. And, of course, the most recent one was the Women's World Cup last-minute fail. Poor Laura Bassett oh, um, scoring an own goal there in the last minute of that semi-final against Japan. That was a last-minute fail, and it was such an unfortunate one as well. No one's fault, really, but there we go. And as a Liverpool fan, I've mentioned this before, but the last-minute fail when Arsenal snatched the title from us, what, 26 years ago or something now, uh, Michael Thomas scoring an injury time after, basically, Liverpool thought that they'd won the title. Yeah. So much so that some of their squad players who were sat on the bench were changing into their blazers ready for their victory lap (laughs) and on the pitch they're like there's one more minute concentrate no Liverpool were getting ready to win the title until Michael Thomas rolled up Mine is actually to do with Arsenal, um, who I sometimes can call either the luckiest or the unluckiest team I mean the, the this, these group of players, I mean, this club has gone from being the luckiest side ever to sometimes being the unluckiest. But this was a particular match against Real Zaragoza, 1995 UEFA Cup Winners' Cup final. And it was one of the most extraordinary uh, last gasp moments um, in football history. And it was when uh, Zaragoza basically scored first. Arsenal then managed an equaliser uh, to take it into uh, an, a little bit of an extra time there. And uh, just before it's all about to be over and they get to play their extra time, Saragossa midfielder Naeem at the time picked up the ball because, and this is when David Seaman made a little mistake, he was a little bit out of his, uh, off his line, and you had Naeem strike the ball and score to win the cup for Saragossa. Right. And that was just in the last moments when you think they were going to lift a trophy yeah. and it was just robbed. They were just 
just robbed at the time. But by Zaragoza, I have to say, it's also quite a lucky team because many a times they've looked like they were going to get relegated when they were in the top flight, uh, only to be saved by some uh, ridiculous uh, run of results that they would get in the last few seasons. But I have to, you have to feel sorry for Arsenal back then. I'm going to pitch in with a transfer one. Uh, just because it's such a huge player and it's so unbelievable when you think Diego Maradona to Sheffield United almost <laughs> happened. <laughs> I think it's, it's one of the worst failed transfers in the last minutes. They were going to bring in Diego Maradona to Bramall Lane for £200,000 mm. in 1978. The deal fell through at the last minute as they didn't have the funds available. As if you wouldn't know that, I can't quite afford it, but I'll, I'll have a stab in the dark anyway. Um, they decided to buy another international counterpart it was Alex Sabella instead of Maradona and they paid £160,000. Now, for £40,000, I think I might have gone out on a limb. (laughs) Bit of a last-minute fail from ITV Sport. They've they've done this a few times um, with the old ad breaks. Um, The game against Bayern Munich and Real Madrid in the Champions League 2012 went to extra time. Um, What did ITV Sport do? Um, They weren't really prepared for that. They cut to a little clip of Mark Austin preparing to read the news and everyone was like, no! They quickly saw the error of their ways and apologised. But yeah, a TV station cutting at the wrong time. This is a last minute one. I love this. Um, A shake storming the football field. Do you know about this? Yeah, I do. Which one is this? This is 1982 World Cup. So we're going back a long way. In fact, I do know this. Okay, go on. No, So it was Kuwait were playing (laughs) France. Michelle Platini's France actually managed by them. They were trailing 3-1. And then they conceded a fourth late goal. However, it was under some controversy because the players were convinced that they'd heard the referee's whistle in the build-up to that goal. So they all stopped playing. Percy, didn't it? Do you remember in the World Cup final? Was it the World Cup final? Anyway. They just stopped playing. So this shake, feeling very adamant about the fact that when you were at primary school, play to the whistle. They thought they'd heard the whistle. (laughs) It wasn't the referee's whistle. But anyway, he stormed the pitch and told them, unless he didn't chalk off that goal, he was going to tell his players to leave the field of play. Um, Anyway, he listened, the referee. Duly obliged. Yeah, he ruled it out. And France did did go on and they added a fourth anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's a brilliant one, isn't it? Um, I don't know, when you think of epic fails, I just think of, again, we have to go back to it, and I mentioned this earlier, Manchester United 1999 um, Champions League final against Bayern Munich, and Munich were winning at the time, until, you know, there was that uh, poor clearance by Torsten Fink, and Sheringham scored the equaliser that would push them into extra time, but they didn't even need the extra time, because they managed to score the seconds in quick succession, all in injury time, to win the treble in 1999, and for me, that was, I just imagine, if you're that player who made the mistake to let a team back in or, you know, or, or if you're little Carlo Ancelotti who's you know, in charge of Milan and had Liverpool score three goals um, to lose it you know. but uh, yeah for me that's one of those I know we're all for when women get it right and, and this podcast The Offside Rule we get it in brackets we get it in brackets is there for a reason uh, we are flying the flag for the fact that there are many um, female football supporters out there that really do understand and love the game and want to have an opinion but I have got an example that doesn't do female no, kind no. very well. <laughs> shall I? Shall I do it? Oh, go, go on. on. Uh, this is in Brazil. It was a league match in Brazil. Uh, we're talking 2006, and it was a game. At a, now you'll have to just bear with me with Brazilian names. Um, Atlético Sorocaba um, against uh, Santa Cruzanese. Now Sorocaba were leading by a single goal, one nil up, with a few minutes to go. And they were really relieved because one of the opposition strikers had a shot off target. It zipped wide of the post. 
However, a cheeky ball boy grabs the ball, brings it back onto the pitch and side-foots it into the net. But the referee, the first female to referee a Brazilian national championship, had turned her back. So when she turned round, she saw the ball in the back of the net and gave the goal. But it was actually scored by the ball boy. She was suspended. Her female lineswoman was suspended. It's not the best story to end on on the offside rule, is it, girls? (laughs) No, I'll say, poor love. She must have been mortified by that. I think it goes to show, though, that if there's a good story and a negative one out there, we'll put them both. Look, I think we can speak for most women when we say we get much more right than we get wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's where we leave it. Thank you very much for this week, Mina. Thank you so much. And I'll be joined by Kate Borsay again next week. See you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.